So as uh, some of you know, right now we're doing a series in the book of Romans, and we actually, that was our reading for today from the New Testament was Romans 8, or sorry, Romans 9, actually. We've graduated to chapter 9. We've been in Romans 8. And as the name implies, uh, it's called Romans because it's written to a Roman audience. It's written to new Gentile converts in the city of Rome, but it's also written to Jewish converts as well. So it's important to note how this chapter begins. Paul says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Paul is pained by a simple thing, but it has big implications. He's pained by the fact that his people, the Israelites, have rejected Christ, even though they are heirs to this amazing legacy, this amazing spiritual history. They have a vast treasure of spiritual goods. Uh, some of you probably have heard of or know Eugene Peterson. He was a pastor and a writer, but he very famously translated the Bible into a modern lay language edition called The Message. And he renders chapter nine like this. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, revelation, worship, promises to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ, who is God over everything always. I personally really resonate with this verse a lot. Uh, my life has been rooted in the church literally since I was two weeks old, I've been in the church. So I was attending as a baby all the way up into my early 20s. And from the, early, from the earliest age, I was told that Jesus had died for me, that I was always loved by God no matter what, that I had access to the Holy Spirit, that I had access to forgiveness and grace, that I was a child of God. Uh, and I was especially thrilled to learn that music, which is one of my greatest joys in life, was one of the main ways that we would connect with God and worship on a Sunday morning. And so I was encouraged into that from a very young age. So I had a lot going for me when you lay it out, especially as a kid. But like a lot of kids who grew up in church, uh, there was a period in my life where despite all these promises and gifts, I did kind of wander away from faith a bit. At least I would say that I was in a very lukewarm place with my faith. I'd call myself a partially lapsed Christian. I wasn't living out my faith in any particularly real, vibrant, or discernible way. Uh, I knew that I loved God and Jesus, but, you know, nothing in my life really actually showed that. But thanks to those truths that I learned as a young kid, there was a process and a journey. I found myself back into faith in a real concrete sense, and the rest so far is history, and here I am today. Yet, despite all this for me, not all my peers have landed where I've landed. In fact, Many people would call my generation the nuns, those that don't have a faith of any kind, that have walked away, maybe, maybe even just from spirituality. And I'd actually reckon that out of my Sunday, myself and one other person are still Christians. And this is heartbreaking for me, because for me, I can see the riches and the spiritual of Christ 
that I wish that my friends had, the people that I grew up with in church. I wish that they could see that as well. And so this has been a big point of prayer for me throughout my life. So when I hear Paul expressing anguish in his heart over his people, I get it. And it, it touches me very deeply. But with that in mind, when we think about those loved ones or around us uh, who for one reason or another have walked away or friends or, or relatives, how do we actually respond to that? The ultimate work, I believe, of salvation and conversion is really done through Christ and the Holy Spirit because uh, that's really where it happens in the heart. But we are called to partner and participate in that work however we can. And the Lord knows that Paul spent countless hours and days and years spreading the gospel to his people. As John talked about last week, Paul had a rough go of it, to say the least. He was jailed, he was tortured, he was beaten, he experienced shipwrecks. And his experiences ran the gamut far beyond personally experienced. Never been in a shipwreck, knock on wood, or on plastic. But he did all these things because his heart was broken for his people. He did it because he longed to see them accept that inheritance that he laid out in chapter 9. And in the same way, our hearts need to also be broken for our people, the people that have walked away. But they can't just be broken. We need to be in prayer for others because from a spiritual angle, we should be seeking God's presence and power in their lives. Intercessory prayer is something that we should long to see active for more of the people in our lives. Intercessory prayer is so powerful because the reality is that this world is completely out of our control. There are so many factors in our own lives that we can't guide to our desired outcome, let alone in other people's. Intercessory prayer is firstly placing the sovereignty back in God's hands. It's saying that we are acknowledging God's power and that we are trusting God to do a work in someone's heart that we personally could never do. But paired with this, we need to be the hands of compassion and the hand of invitation for folks. Although the final work rests with God, nothing says that we should sit idly by. It's my strong conviction that the church has a lot of work to do when it comes with how we engage with folks who have deconstructed or walked away from faith. In so many cases, at least with my friends and peers, the church was tragically a big part of why they walked away from faith. In fact, many of them have no problem with Jesus at all, actually. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes about what are called the fruits of the Spirit, those spiritual postures and attitudes which reflect our connections to Christ and the overflow of the Holy Spirit in us. And here's what he lists in Galatians. This is chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we are grieved as Paul was for our people and their spiritual reality, we have here uh, some hints about how we can engage with them. The fruits of the Spirit are in so many ways counter to the fruits of the world, or at least the fruits that the world would offer. If I had to list what the fruits of the world would be, it would be conditional love, cynicism, anxiety, recklessness, meanness, disloyalty, harshness, and impulsiveness. So what a beautiful antidote it would be to respond in Christian love to people where the world says that love is only earned, that love is only gained when you can prove your worth or value. But scripture tells us that our value comes from being made in the image of God. We don't need to earn that love. We have it eternally regardless of where we decide to stand with God. And I think that's something to think about just for a second. Because the narrative that the world gives us is that if you say to someone, forget you, they're just going to say it right back to us. But scripture says that when we say forget you to God, God is always waiting for us. God does not abandon us. 
in the parable of the prodigal son, God is framed as a father who after being rejected and scorned by his son, rushes and runs to his son with open arms when his, fun, when his son finally returns. I was talking with a friend recently who's been doing a lot of um, straight up out to his, his friends in a really amazing way. God has opened up some really amazing opportunities for him. And one of the people that he was talking to, uh, he was talking about love with them. And they were saying that this idea of conditional love was just, just the idea of Christian love, unconditional love was so eye-opening, so mind-blowing to them because their entire life, everything that they did was conditional. All the love that they had ever received was conditional. We use the word love quite a bit in this culture, and it means a lot of different things to the different people. But the Christian idea of love is a radical idea. It's an idea that, that transcends all sorts of boundaries and places and spaces. And I think that that's something to consider when we talk about people that we are concerned for, that we long to see come back to faith. If we can give that kind of love to someone, I think it says a lot. And where the world gives people the fruit of cynicism, we can live out a Christian joy, one that chooses to be joyful in the midst of hard times. I was having a conversation with a friend and they were telling me about the website Nextdoor. Has anyone signed up for Nextdoor? Okay, I see some nod, nodded heads. I didn't see any hands shoot up excitedly, probably for, for the reasons I'm about to talk about. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, basically Nextdoor is kind of like Facebook for a neighborhood, right? You get signed up and it places you in your neighborhood. And then you kind of are part of this online community uh, posting board. Uh, and the whole idea really is that it was you know, intended to be positive. The whole point is to draw others together and create a more communicative community and network of neighbors that would, would help each other out, at least with the idea. But my friend was expressing to me that she had to stop using it because everything was so negative and so cynical. There was a constant paranoia conveyed in posts about neighbors and about strangers in the neighborhood. People just complain about things in the neighborhood, but they never do anything about it. People would take opportunities in the comment section to shoot pot shots at neighbors that they you know, had a gripe with. And it was so pervasive that it eventually caused my friend to retreat. The very tool that was supposed to ground her just distanced her, so she quit using it. So what if instead we as Christians, especially in the context of community, expressed a joy that called others closer to us and closer to love and closer ultimately to God? And here's a huge one. This is a huge one that I, that I just see everywhere, and I experience too, is anxiety. In response to anxiety, we can actually be a place of peace for others. I can't tell you how vital it's been in my own life in just hard seasons um, when I've been faced with anxious uncertainty to just have others around me who are at peace, who could help anchor me in those moments. And I think peace gets misunderstood. I think peace is not just this posture where you get really mellow and listen to Pink Floyd and you kind of like float five inches off the ground. Uh, it's, it can be this posture where we are rooted and stable in the midst of chaos. And so what if through our groundedness, we can point others to the groundedness that comes with being in Christ? And the list goes on because for every fruit that the world offers, we have these amazing fruits of the Spirit in response that can be a gift in difficult times. And I think that this is going to be so vital it's the vital way that when we engage with wounded people that we have these fruits of the Spirit to give as gifts. Because that's, I think, what's going to be winsome for people who have rejected the church or God, to see something tangible played out in front of them. Because without these fruits of the Spirit, we'll just look like Christian-themed versions of what the world offers. 
And the way back to trust with our friends and family who have stepped away from God is to be real and authentic people rooted in Christ and overflowing with those gifts of the Spirit. And trust, trust will be so vital in our missional endeavors in this area. Trust is key. Because although we may not have been the one who was wielding the spiritual stick that might have bruised a former Christian soul, there was another Christian doing so in our name without our permission. And it's not fair, but it is the reality that we may need to contend with. So what better way to contend with it than to rely on a supernatural gift from God, from the Spirit, where natural means may have failed. John mentioned this book last week, but it's also a book that I'm reading as well. Um, And I think it's probably a good idea to mention it again. And the book was written actually by our bishop, Todd Hunter, and it's called What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. And the book is aimed at people who have walked away from church or faith, and it centers back on Jesus and its approach to what life and faith is really meant to be. It uses Jesus as the center point, as the North Star. And it's actually been a really helpful book to read because it really lays out some of the issues and ideas that people have with the church and with faith. And I think that can be really instructive for us because through the book, he stories about people um, that he's met over the years and their particular reasons for why they might have given up. And so he humanizes these ideas instead of just necessarily quoting stats or statistics. And actually, we have three copies of the book in the back at the table there. If you want to pick one up or you're interested, I encourage you to do so. It's been, it's been really helpful, but I really intend on keeping my copy and handing it to someone later on as a resource for someone that might be on the fence. So I would encourage that for you as well. And along with that, here are some other just quick thoughts and ideas. If there is someone on your heart or someone you know that it, it pains you, it anguishes your heart to see them pulled away from faith, it's, it's a Sunday school answer, but it is the right answer. The first step is always to pray. Pray that God can open up the door at the right time to talk with a friend or a family member. Pray about a good book or a podcast that could reach into someone's heart as a resource. Maybe you've tried to talk with them and it just fell on deaf ears. But I firmly believe in that adage that says, you know, as a parent, you can say something instructive to your children, but they may not want to hear it because you're their parent. But if, you're, if their friend says it, then it's received. And maybe there is another voice or a person that they'd be open to. And if you want to think or pray more about that, please reach out to myself or John or Cindy. We'd be happy to, to be in prayer with you about that person. I don't claim to have every answer on this topic. I would be a liar if I did, but I do have some strong convictions about where we, as the church and as individuals, can make some progress and headway when it comes to interacting with those people who have stepped away from faith. And so I'll share this story with you and then, and then end. I had a friend who I grew up with in church, and slowly over the years, for all sorts of reasons, their, their faith was really chipped away at and whittled down, and they began to stray from faith. And specifically, they had started to take less faith in Jesus and more faith in New Age practices. They had done that kind of syncretic thing called Jesus Plus, where you have Jesus, but you add things on top of that to try to sort out your world. And eventually, this led to them becoming really cynical and at times antagonistic towards the church and Christians. But, you know, regardless of this, I obviously kept my friendship with them. I was very close with them. I tried to be as compassionate as I knew how in any given moment. But this new reality really broke my heart, and it was on my mind a lot. And I I talked with them when I could, but I prayed a lot. And there were years where I felt like there was just no breakthrough happening. It didn't seem like they cared. There was nothing that I felt like I could ever do. And in a lot of ways, I think there was fear. I think I was afraid of my friend and scared to talk with them because fear was a big 
theme for them when it came to religion. And I think I never felt safe to express my thoughts or opinions or to share my own faith with them because of how badly they said they had been hurt and how afraid they were of the church. So all I could do was continue to pray because I had little to no hope that I could do really much of anything. But one day we ended up having a conversation and through this conversation, God really opened a door. And I can't remember how exactly the conversation started, but we ended up talking about faith, surprisingly. And my friend admitted to me that they were afraid to talk to me about their new beliefs and practices because they thought that I'd think they were crazy. Which is kind of funny because I believe that God became a guy and died and then rose again three days later, which depending on who you talk to, sounds pretty crazy. But it actually was this amazing opportunity for me to open up and simply respond and be like, no, I, I do believe in the supernatural. I actually believe that there's power in these practices that you're, that you're doing. Um, but it opened up a place where I could say, I believe that God is the true spiritual power. That we don't need to engage in these practices to encounter Jesus or God. And when I said this, they got really emotional and they broke down and they shared with me that they, even though they had been afraid to trust me, they realized that when they actually thought about it, they had no reason to feel that way about me. They said that I had never done anything to the contrary to, to try to, you know, make them afraid of me. There was something in them that God was breaking down. There's a barrier inside them based on their experiences that, that I didn't even necessarily have anything to do with personally, but was affecting the relationship. And God, I think, did something in them in that moment. And so the conversation continued for a while after that, but it really was this chance that I had been praying for. God had worked through our relationship, through our past experiences, and through the Holy Spirit, I believe, to make that conversation possible. And they are not a Christian that I know of. I haven't been in touch with them for a long time. But I haven't lost hope for them, only in that God can and will do amazing things. I didn't believe originally that there was much that could be done, but I was proven wrong. And it may not be, and I'm trusting that it won't be the last time that they'll have a conversation with someone about God. So my encouragement to you today is really to be faithful. Be faithful in acting the ways that are consistent with those fruits of the Spirit. Because God can and will use those times to open up doors for us to join him in doing the work of calling people back to the church and to Jesus. And to reference Paul again, it was exactly through the power of Christ first and then the faithfulness of a believer that brought Paul to faith. In chapter 9 of Acts, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way that is Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And it continues on later. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. As Holy Trinity, we have a unique and special chance to stand in the gap with people here in the Bay Area and to welcome them back into a faith in a way that is moving and winsome simply by being who God has created us to be. We have a chance to be like Ananias. Even though he was afraid and probably doubtful, in the midst of that, he still chose to be obedient and consistent. There's a great saying in the photography world, and it says this, the best camera is the one that's right in front of you. Essentially, don't think that you need to be someone else to do God's work. So may the Holy Spirit empower us with the gifts of the Spirit, and may we never give up prayer and hope for those that have walked away from us.